We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis and Coaches. To book online, please visit www.phoenixtaxis.net. Hello, welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, uh, bumper edition this week. I'm joined um, from London by Richie. Hello, Richie. Nice to have you again. No problem. Pleasure to be here, lads. Uh, Mike's also in London, as he always is. All right, chaps. How's it going? Very good. And I've got Mickey and Ben in here with me in Killingworth. Hello. Hello. Excellent. Well, crack on. Football was back this week, and I don't, you know, I challenge anyone to tell me that they weren't happy as much as slagging off and moan. It's absolutely awful. I mean, that ruins World Cup. But um, But my question to you lads is, I'll come to you first Mike, Uh, what happened over the course of this football and weekends for it to hit home that football was well and truly back? Um, well, it didn't take long, but it was Mr. Mourinho, um, the classic uh, after a, after a weak Chelsea performance coming out and uh, saying completely refusing to say anything about the referee's performance, but by saying that, saying absolutely everything we needed to know. Um, it's uh, the, the classic one around the, the Courtois sending off, which was a sending off, um, by the way, off. but just the the complete refusal to say anything, but basically implying that you think the referee is a massive bellend, and it was a <laughs> shocking decision. Good one. A uh, bit negative, but good one. Well, so is mine, to be fair. Richie, what was it for you? Um, I guess for me, it was just about sort of waking up on a Friday uh, with the excitement of uh, watching Brighton versus Nottingham Forest, which I'd never, ever usually do throughout the course <laughs> of the season, but just kind of finding the excuse to uh, to do it. But then again, I, uh, I had to have something to do whilst you know waiting for a two-hour-long draft through fantasy football so uh, more yeah, that later <laughs> so I guess it was yeah I just you, you kind of just get a little bit carried away I think where you, you you've been so kind of um, you get the stage in pre-season where you're just dying for football to come back after like really being glad that it's all over and um, you know just a, a Friday night match no matter what league it's in you sort of just get yourself a bit excited about it and, um, and, and so yeah I guess it was just 
uh, you know, getting back on Sky Sports and uh, settling down and having a Friday night in watching watching any sort of football. Yeah, I think that's a pretty pretty good answer. My one was two. Th- well, I've gone for two things. First of all, four pints before one o'clock are going to be match day, <laughs> and uh, the second one is just in no other form of life at, at all. I challenge you, apart from sport, but especially football. Does a bloke who you've never met, never hurt, like hurt, you know, you've never even seen him before, but he, he finds it totally acceptable to sit behind you and just scream, "Shite!" Oh, oh man, you're still in my Yeah, the, the bloke. His most high pitched voice. He wasn't there ever, last season. Unnatural high pitched voice. It's, it's like, how am I, mate? It's the first game of the season. Chill the fuck out, you know? Like he wasn't there. We've got the same season ticket seats, and he wasn't there last year. Nah. I'm and he hoping just, he's not going to be there yeah. next game either. He ruined the match for us all, well, almost. Just every time a, um, a pass with me, was misplaced, yeah. a cross was overhit. Shite! Yes, I'm shite! <laughs> like, they can't hear you, mate. Like, just just get a life, get a grip. We're now really hoping, Ben, that but the blokes in front of what at the match and behind don't ever mm. recognise we <laughs> from doing <laughs> these because we've slagged them all off, including everyone on our row, yeah. which was much better, did you notice? To, to be fair, it was mostly Simon Campbell <laughs> doing all of the slagging off in the pod last season, but... Um, yeah. yeah, no, there's a lot of uh, changes. I think there's quite a few people who have not come back. Yeah, there's a lot, lot of people haven't the jacket in, in. Including one of us. Yeah, including Si himself. Season ticket list. So we can <laughs> no longer call ourselves the only football podcast in Castle, regular podcast, where we'll, we'll all go to the game. We, we can't, because Si never is on it. Oh, he's never on, is he? No. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, who wants to go first? Ben or Mickey? I'll go. Mickey? Um, mine was panic, like, panicking at half nine about missing match of the day. <laughs> <laughs> just like watching match of the day again it's such a nice way to, to finish a Saturday it's an essential part of the weekend yeah so yeah match of the day I know it's a bit of a stereotypical answer like, but no I'm not having it Ben uh, a little bit like yours obviously the, the same with the, the bloke behind you just you wouldn't get that anywhere else as you say um, mine was probably waking up on a Monday morning feel, feeling rough <laughs> so I would never ever be drinking on a Sunday for any other reason you, you got through them two pints like I'll give oh, you a two <laughs> Well, I, I have to admit, I, I poured the second one away. So. <laughs> right, we'll move on. Just a few things before we start. We're obviously going to talk through Newcastle's uh, performance against Southampton, the 2-2 draw, and we'll talk a little bit about the Premier League with a couple of games slash quizzes thrown in between. <laughs> some, it's not a game. <laughs> some notices first. Obviously, you can catch us, True Faith Radio Show. Some notices. <laughs> well, I think this is <laughs> assembly. <laughs> True Faith Radio Show. Scratch that from the minute. Every, every, every Friday, 7 o'clock, we're live online. It's a live show. Get involved through Twitter like hundreds of people do. We're really grateful. We think. We think. Well, it, yeah. Um, you know, uh, we've got obviously there's a, there's a few podcasts out at the moment by us, and you can all you can go back and listen to the full Premier League preview, which is like four and a half hours long in tribute to the RFF draft. We've got. Um, video blog our first video blog is out today it's really really ropey and average but we'll get better so have a look at that it's on our Twitter page at TF Weekly Pod and I did an interview with Martin Harley last week who wrote Touching Distance it's a really really good book you, if you're a Newcastle fan you need to read it um, I don't remember that era I'm too young but it's still fascinating reading and Martin's a, a really genuine bloke and he's I mean he writes for the Sunday Times but he's a massive Newcastle fan and uh, this, this book was like a passion of his for the past 80 months so listen to the podcast and buy the book We'll crack on with the rest of the show. So Newcastle started off the season with a 2-2 home draw against, uh, in my opinion, a very a very well-organised and accomplished Southampton side. 
Uh, me, Ben and Mickey were all out of the game. I don't know whether you lads managed to catch the highlights or catch the game. Yeah, yeah, I watched, uh, watched it all live via very legal uh, streaming methods. <laughs> Excellent. So, Richie, in your opinion, uh, things I thought things were markedly different from last season. What did you see in McLaren's team selection and his tactics which told you things are going to be different? Um, team selection-wise, admittedly, nothing for me massively different on paper. I mean, obviously, it was... I guess the, the biggest thing that stood out was that, you know, some players were just... Who, who simply just aren't good enough, um, who just got too much game time last season, you know, in some instances, uh, didn't really have a choice but to play them. But the likes of, you know, Williamson and, and Goufran just not even making the bench, um, I think is very telling, especially when you consider that, you know, Williamson actually played in probably the vast majority of our pre-season games. I think he played um, them all, yeah. He played in every yeah, game. Yeah, and, and I think, obviously, there's, it's been quite telling with the... Uh, the Colaccini situation, how that only seems to have been cleared up, cleared up in the past week or so. That was probably a big reason why Colaccini hadn't been playing in pre-season. And since that's all been cleared up, it's kind of given McLaren the the green light to sort of say, right, well, you know, Williamson, I'm sorry, but you're not good enough, and uh, you know, we'll we'll um, uh, Colaccini's in the lineup. And I think it was positive to see that he'd started and Bember alongside him as well. Um, Aside from that, the formation on paper four two three one. It's one that Pardew tried again and again and again week after week, and simply it just didn't it didn't work. Um, now that could be for a number of reasons, but I think what was different about the way that McLaren had set up was that the team just looked like they had more of an identity, um, more of a defined shape. There was players that had defined roles. You couldn't have said under Pardew or Carver that Newcastle had a certain style of play that just didn't there was nothing fluent um, there was about about the way we uh, you know passed and worked the ball and, and the, the positions that they had but you just you could see that you had Colback and Anita they were sitting their job was very uh, very specific you know they get a bit of protection but they, they were they, they were the ones pressing the ball um, and, and just, just distributing the ball and then you had your your three kind of forward midfielders that were always pushing on. Um, I, I am a little bit, uh, still a, a little bit unsure about CC up front by himself. Again, he just, apart from his goal, he just didn't really get involved. And I know that's playing as a lone striker. You, you kind of don't expect him to be involved in, in a lot of the uh, a lot of the play. But I'm just not convinced he can play that role very well up um, up tops by himself. Um, uh, and, and we'll be interested to see if Mitrovic is any different to that. But I guess in summary, uh, uh, you know, as far as the lineups concerned, nothing hugely different. But but certainly on the park and the way we played was was completely different in the sense that you know that that formation actually looked like a proper formation. Um, I guess the other point that was really telling for me was how we pressed the ball. I've made numerous points um, over the last numerous uh, past few years. Newcastle are one of the only teams in the league that have just, just don't press the ball, just don't press with the players, just don't put pressure on the players. And I think I think it was the first was it the first goal that we scored um, came from I think it was either Anita or Sissoko uh, just jumped on the uh, the Southampton player in the middle of the park, won the ball, and then distributed it quickly. And 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 you know it was just nice to see that there was a bit of intensity and a bit of willingness to kind of get the ball back. So. Yeah, so you know, little things like that. I think you know, just kind of said that there's been some, some, some positive changes and hopefully things to work on moving forwards. 
I can't disagree with anything you've said there, Richie. Uh, I extend on a couple of things. Um, I was really, really impressed by the the team were clearly making a conscious effort to keep possession for long periods. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of frustrating to watch at times when we're in great attacking positions and we end up going back to the centre-backs. But then you think about it and you think, actually, the other team are chasing the ball constantly. They get more, the more, the less of the ball they have, the more frustrated. Especially at, not every side, but especially as a good side like Southampton, who want the ball, who want to get playing. Players like Mane need. They're only in the game if they've got the ball. So that was really, really refreshing to say. It might not come off, um, but it was nice to say that. Like you say, we will have a bit of identity. I think we're going to be a, try to be a possession-based side. The goal kicks. You could clearly see that that was the aim to keep the ball to kind of limit the fifty-fifties as, as as much as possible. And it was nice to see Newcastle approach that game with a on the front foot. It was kind of like you're gonna you're gonna pay respect to Southampton, who are a good team. But they're, you know, we we went in that game, and I'm trying to think of some games off the top of my head last year. I mean, even the likes of let's say Swansea, and I know it was under Carver. I didn't actually go to the game, but I watched the game live, and Newcastle had no plan that game. It was literally just do do your best kind of thing. I, I can't think yeah. what Carver told them before the game to do because there was no pressure and that's one of the, the frustrating things about watching Newcastle we've been so bad at keeping possession and so bad generally we don't put sustained pressure on teams and that goal was coming I think Newcastle's equaliser was coming because since Southampton scored we've been the better team and put pressure on them so I was really really pleased and I agree with everything you say Mickey I'll come to you um, you were at the match you were very down last season <laughs> very down and you're normally a pretty positive bloke. So what did you enjoy about the game that Richie hasn't touched on? I think he's covered it all pretty well, to be honest. Um, it, w- it was just nice to see that we had like an actual plan. Like we, we went out there thinking, like, let's do this, as opposed to the last couple of years when it's just been like, have a go. <laughs> um, and it was it was nice to see the fans not kicking off Yeah. Like, for... For the first time well, in a long while. Apart from the bloke behind us, yeah. yeah. I was the minority now, wasn't it? As oh, a massive minority, yeah. We haven't had for ages, so it was nice to go to the game and everyone was in quite a good mood. I, I thought the atmosphere was good. Yeah, I was enjoyed the atmosphere. Having it in the corner, it's always good, but it was it was really really good. Um, is it, is there anything particularly? I know you, you touched on this in the, the first video blog that we did. Is there anything in particular like you kind of saw from that game that you think, yeah, this this will like this is us for the future, or do you think it was just first game? More no, I think, the, I think the possession thing is, but you would think if that's going to be the way we're going to play. He wouldn't, he wouldn't just do it for one game. That would be, that would be nonsense. So I think that that looks like that's going to be the way our side is set up for the rest of the season. Excellent, and it's kind of contrary to what we heard from some media people and Middlesbrough fans who. You know, a lot of people are trying to do damage to McLaren's reputation, especially at Middlesbrough. They said the football was dire. I don't really know. The only Middlesbrough fan that I know loves McLaren, and he's like, he's he's an absolute legend to me, and all of my family absolutely love him. Whereas, like a lot of the media said, McLaren basically plays terrible football. But I certainly didn't see that yesterday. I think you just need to wear uh, just on that point. I was thinking you need to look at um, some of the stuff they've been working on in training. It's it's all very. You know, it's all very technical. It's all very passing and, and uh, you know, born, born, born to feet, born the ground stuff. And you've, you've heard some of the comments that the likes of De Jong have been coming out saying, you know, like, you know, I'm, oh, we're, 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 the style of play, I, I really like it. It's very different to what we were doing last season. And you can just imagine that the likes of De Jong must have just thought, what the hell is this all about last season with, you know, John Carver, you know, playing 
routines of having Mike Williamson just hoof the ball and try and win it back. And um, just on that topic, with relation, regards to De Jong, what was really pleasing for me, one of the first things I noticed was looking at our bench on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. So, sorry, on Sunday, you were like, bloody hell. <laughs> when was the last time we had a bench like that? You just thought, there's, there's four or five players that you can... Well, maybe not. Well, maybe four players on that bench. You thought you could, they could bring on any game changers, you know? Like didn't and, do any favors, though, did it? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the one player that we brought on to you, uh, probably probably the one that let with down the most. Yeah, but I just I thought, um, you know, it was just nice to see that that strength and depth, and uh, you know, just to have players like Aaron's, you think, and come on or CM the young mind. That I was, I think, I made a comment on Twitter earlier today saying I, I do wonder how long. Uh, De Jong will be happy playing second fiddle um, if he's if he's on the bench. But you know th- that that being said, it's, it's no bad thing. It's, it's not a bad thing to have competition for places and having you know good quality players who you can you know kind of change around, rotate, and, and bring on in, in later in the, in the in the game itself. Well, you certainly couldn't imagine last season the likes of a faithful Arno Aaron's and Jose Perez not featuring. Yeah, could you? Because we're so desperate for quality. So I totally agree. Um, I come on to that now, Ben, with you. I'll come to you for a bit of negativity. What do you think Newcastle needed to improve on? What problems need to be addressed by McLaren? Um, I mean, I, as you say, I mean, Richie was saying there about one of the good things was the pressing, but I think he still, I mean, to be fair, it was one, probably one player, really. Um, Obertan let were down for the two goals. He didn't yeah. press his man. Um, he didn't even do that. He just did now. Yeah, he's, he, just, <laughs> he just stood there. There's, there's a couple of times I noticed, I think it's probably as well, keeping their concentration, because... I mean, there's a couple of times where I noticed Sissoko and Obertan would have a man, he yeah. would give the ball to their left wing back who was marked by the Yamat or um, Haidara, they wouldn't track the run. Now, luckily, a lot, most of the time, the ball didn't go there, but if they had have, they would have been through, basically, Warren yeah. McCullen. I guess it's just instilling that that um, sort of concentration and just that uh, mentality to sort of do your job. Um I mean, it's it's obviously not their natural game over time, so they want to be going the other way. But you, you look at the best players. I mean, the likes of Mourinho demands that the, the star players keep that element of the game. So I guess it's just McLaren enforcing that and getting these sort of prima donnas to to sort of roll up their sleeves and dig in and help the team. Um, I mean, other than that, set pieces. Yeah, again, again, we're, we're, it's the same what? thing. Crosses, just crosses. We haven't got. Well, I still haven't got much height in the team. Sorry, what you were going to say? No, I was saying just the the, the prob- hype is one thing, but we just don't. Jack Colback, I really rate Colback, but he's he, he can't take a corner kick. And I think if you probably asked him that question, saying that you know a corner kick's a specialty of yours, he's probably like honest enough to say no, not really. And you just think the balls that were put in, that either don't get past the front post, they're just kind of floated up in the air. And when you haven't got height, the worst thing you can do is float a ball in the air because. You're never going to win it with with with, with uh, players who are a lot taller than you. It just gives them time to get position, read the ball, and and, and get it away. And I just uh, McLaren, McLaren on really Newcastle earlier this week, and I rang in and asked him the question, and he sort of avoided it, saying, "Have you got on your mind, you know, the, wanting to bring in like a, a set piece specialist?" Or and I also said, you know, what was it that about previous years? Why you think Newcastle have been so poor at set pieces? And, and he didn't really answer the question. He sort of said, "Oh." We're looking for set pieces uh, takers in the squad, and set pieces are really important, and blah blah blah. But uh, I just get the feeling they're just going to try and just work on the likes of Colback to improve. But I, I just think, you know, delivering a, de- delivering a ball, you've either got it or you haven't. You know, I think some players have, have that talent, and 
again, it's just a, a massive weakness in our team. It's a weakness, but a more concern for me is the fact that every time the opposition have a corner or a free kick around our box, they look like they're going to score. Yeah, um, yeah. I just I remember that West that West Brom game last season was just, and, and Leicester as well away. West Ham last was just season. was just it was a humiliating experience. The fact that West Brom, I think they hit the post twice and scored yeah. in the space of well, ten minutes from three set yeah. pieces, and it was like someone's got to fucking sort this out. And, and Williamson was in the team then, so it wasn't a question of height. I also think. Your point, Richie, I totally agree. What you said before, Cissé not being um, the, the guy for that formation, I agree because outside of the box, he's a waste of space. Um, and in addition, not like a great example on Sunday, Gratiano Pelle, every time we had a corner or an attacking set play, he was in marking one of our centre-backs. Mm-hmm. Whereas Cissé doesn't do that because he can't. He kind of hangs around on the edge of the box or on the on the near post, and our centre backs have got centre forwards answered like three on two almost, and you can see it's. Uh, I'd say uh, Swansea, thankfully, I mean I know they've got Gomez. Hopefully they're not airily bombarded, but plenty of teams will in this league. So that's that's a real issue. Um, defending set pieces, I I don't see how he's going to fix that. To be honest with you, I think Kroll. Look at both goals. I think Kroll was to blame for the second goal, to be honest with you. That, that's the kind of cross where you'd expect Pele to head it across the keeper to the far post. The it's, first one, you mean? No, the second one. Um, Shane Long. Shane Long. He kind of heads it back the way it's came, and it yeah. goes in, and it's a great goal. You don't head it at the near post because the keeper catches it. Yeah. Kroll's kind of like not in no man's land. And I also think, because we're, no man's land. <laughs> because he's so bad, because we're so bad at, at, at those kind of um, defending crosses, I think he's got to come off his line. Even if he doesn't get there, and I know it's hard for a keeper, but we're so bad at it yeah. that the it's you know the guy the guy crossing the ball has got to start having second thoughts. All right, if I if I'm crossing this in near the six yard box, the keeper's going to come and claim it. That should be the case anyway, and that's Crow's biggest weakness for I th- years. I think you've got to give them a bit of time though. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a back four, well, back five, including Crow, that's new together. I mean, yeah. they were they were saying to it to be fair in Bember. He's probably never met Colachini before you yesterday. Colachini's <laughs> yeah. um, been obviously nowhere in pre-season and Bemba's come late to the club. So the fact that they, they played as well as they did for a large part of the game, uh, that's really encouraging. Um, Jan Matt, we, we know he's a brilliant player, but you still think, again, he's probably at fault for the the, the second goal. He probably should have should have done better with a challenge against Shane Long. I, I, just, mean, think it's, uh, I just think it's hard for the, for a full-back when, you, when the, you've got a striker on your back. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. You could get, I you think could, I th- it's what I was coming to is I think you were saying it there, really, what you're getting at is the communication. Yeah. Now, that's going to improve, I think, as they play together more and they, 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 they all learn the language. Um, but it's just, I think, as you say, Krull... When when Krull was at his best, he used to come and claim those balls. Yeah, he would come and catch everything, and that's why we rated him so highly because he, he just he was commanding and he he just as I say came and would catch everything. Now he's he's lost that sort of confidence and he comes out and punches everything and he doesn't always come and it, it's just that um, sort of uncertainty I guess which just obviously causes a shambles at the back. He needs to be the one I think that needs to be more commanding. He needs to be sort of absolute when he's going to do something make a decision he needs to come and just wipe everyone out um, and then I think the, also, the defence um, will get 
I think it's possibly a lack of awareness from Yamat on that as well. Because it looked to me, like on the on on the replays, when you look at the goal, he doesn't seem to extend himself fully and, and really, you know, challenge for the ball. That he thinks he's got it. Mm. So all I all I can think is that he doesn't know how close Shane Long is, and Shane Long's attacking it behind him. Otherwise, you'd think it because he didn't attack it um, yeah. to get rid of it. He, he thought he had it, and he could just nick it out for for a corner or a throw. Um, so I think that awareness of that fullback. No, being on a half turn all the time and knowing who's behind you, who's attacking, no, no matter how tall they are, um, I think that's a big part of it as well. Nice of you to break the mould of the full box union there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dodger, you'll never see me getting done like that in the air. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose we'll come on to you then um, before finishing off in the Newcastle game or any other points the lads want to raise. Did you catch the highlights, Mike? And if so, what did you make of it? Do you think we're being kind of overly positive, or do you think that you know changes in the Newcastle are going to be a force this season? Yeah, I, th- I think it was good. Obviously, it's all relative, isn't it? It's always going to be a huge improvement on, on last year. I think you've been through the defensive throughout these. Because of that, I think it'll be a bit up and down. But I think you know, uh, in on the whole, it'll be positive. You seem to have a bit of enterprise about you. Just looking at um, we nailed them, and, and you know the ground, the desire. The ground he made up to get in the box for that for that second goal. Um, I think that there's plenty there that you know you, you'll you'll definitely finish mid table top off. Um, but but I just think you, you can't really see the the atmosphere going as sour as it did last year. I think McLaren Ritchie touched on it earlier. A good point about the training sessions. You, you hear from everyone. Um, players at any level that he's worked with say that the training sessions are excellent. You know, and that's such an important part. If you think you're coming in as a professional every day. You can see how he could get pissed off and so bored just doing shite drills all day that, that don't seem to offer anything or we can't see any end result. But uh, I think they'll go into training every day, something new, something fresh, and they, they can see themselves improving as a team. So, um, yeah, I, I think overall you'll, you'll have a pretty positive season. Cool. Lance, any other business on Newcastle? I thought um, I thought Haidara had an absolute stinker. He basically lost the ball every time he got it. I, I thought in the first half that maybe saw that more targeting him because they yeah, knew we were going to keep hold of the ball we, we, we said yeah. that they would put it was the one player they were closing down at every opportunity yeah. and getting a foot in I agree and I think he didn't play well however and I said this afterwards yesterday I think his attacking game was damaged by Obertan and I think his defensive game was damaged because he, he normally have. he bombs down that left side but he wasn't willing to go beyond the last fullback and think if I cross it now and they win the header there's no way my wing is filling in for me or getting back. It's literally wide open. So I, re- I mean, Obertan, fantastic assist, yeah, brilliant. Brilliant ball in. Don't play him next week. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're going to play him, play him on the right. Like I, I think he'd be better as an impact player with that yeah. pace coming off the bench. He'd be better suited to that. He doesn't. He wouldn't necessarily have to concentrate so much on his defensive side if he's coming on, but sort of chasing the game, or whatever. You don't mind, well, you do mind. But if you're going to have a player like Janola or Robert, I know that's high praise, but you'd much rather these guys didn't defend. You'd much rather it was Aaron's not defending because you at least think, well, he's going to give us something explosive. He's going to give us something else. Yeah. Whereas Obertown was just poor. Apart from the assist, he, he was just poor. I don't... I don't one the one thing McLaren got wrong yesterday was picking him. I think he, despite the assist and the, the assist, which I think Cy pointed out, actually came down the right, not the left. Yeah, yeah. So no, I think I uh, just on that point, uh, uh, Dodgy. I was going to just say, like, if if Obertan hadn't actually made that assist, would would anybody have been kind of praising his game? Yeah, because apart from that, he just looks like I don't know. I feel like every season Obertan seems to have this like 
he seems to feature in the, the first one or two games. Like he seems to love preseason. Every manager thinks, oh, he's he's, he's revitalised like a phoenix from the flames. And then within sort of two or three games, he's you know he's a distant memory again until the next preseason. And I just think he's a uh, you just sort of look at him in the you feel like he's got he's 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 going to be one of, the, one of these players that you think he's going to have this ability inside him somewhere that sometimes comes out that I don't but I don't think he knows how to. To manage his ability, and he just looks just—he just looks so thick and like, just as if his feet are doing stuff that he doesn't really know how what he's doing with his feet. He's such a bizarre player, like. Uh, but um, but yeah, I just think I, I don't think he's the answer in our first team, especially when you've got the likes of Aaron's who's looked so impressive last season, but also looked so impressive in pre-season as well. Absolutely, and I said last season I didn't like it when Perez played in the left, but I take him over rubber time. Like, yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, we'll crack on. We'll we'll finish off Newcastle there and onto the Premier League. So before we move on to the Premier League, first of all, the much loved and revered Doggers game. Rules are simple. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know what's what. But I'm going to give the lads several clues about a former Newcastle player. First one to shout it out gets the point. Ready? I'm currently manager of non-league Lancaster City. I played 133 games for Newcastle in four years, scoring two goals. Darren Peacock? That is ridiculous. <laughs> well, done. well done, well <laughs> done, Darren Peacock. How did he get that so quick? I, I don't know. I don't know why, but I seem to. One of my friends who plays non-league football, I seem to recall him mentioning Darren Peacock being a manager of like a, of, I don't know, of a, of a, a team based. I don't, I don't know in Yorkshire, Manchester. I, I don't know, and I just thought you know it's just basically a guess off that. Got to be him. Fair play, Richie. I mean, you almost make a mockery of the game getting it so quickly. You do. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, but the other clues were going to be I also played for Blackburn, QPR, Hereford United, and Newport County. And the final clue was I scored against Manchester United uh, in the 5 0 win October 1996. Would you have got it from that? I got it on the first one. Uh, just, he uh, just put this to it. The Premier League happened this weekend, which was good. Is that it? For the Doggers game? I feel game. like we should do one of Mickey's. Oh, right, then, should we do another game? Good. Ben's not happy. Mickey, your game? That was oh, yeah. What's your game called? Well, I've, I've done two, because I think the first one you might get really quickly. It's basically like side game, where I'm going to read out a load of players, and they've all played under the same manager, and I want you to name the manager. Under the same manager at Newcastle? No. Right. Well, that would be really easy, wouldn't it? <laughs> Just list managers. So all of these people have, have played under the same manager. Name the manager. First one is Tory Andre Flo, Danny Dickio, Lauren Robert, not at Newcastle. Shola Ramiori and Q and Dyer. Lauren Robert wasn't at Newcastle. He did. Well, he was at Newcastle, but he wasn't under the manager at Newcastle. Who were the other two? Shola Ramiori and Q and Dyer. That's hard. <laughs> is it Graham Souness? No, I, I would tell you the clubs, but as soon as I say the clubs, you're gonna know. <laughs> um, uh, was it Root Hollett? No, one of these positions was as a caretaker manager. John Carver. John Carver. Oh, get it. Yeah. Danny Dickey no. and <laughs> at Toronto. Tony I'm, I'm still not happy because John Carver's the answer, so I, I can't possibly. Be happy with <laughs> well, I've got another one. How are then? Games galore. Got another one. The second one. This is the games podcast. We'll have to rename it. Mickey Quinn, Kevin Phillips, <laughs> Glenn Johnson. Is this Glenn... the same game twice? 
Same game, eh? Alright, bloody hell. Is it John Carver again? No. Les Ferdinand. Start again because I wasn't paying right. attention. Mickey Quinn, Kevin Phillips, Glenn Johnson, Les Ferdinand. Is it Keegan? Antoine Sibius. Peter Reid. No. Jim Redknapp. No. Glenn Roder. Glenn Roder. Ah. And then uh, the last two clues are Ryan Bertrand. There's then. too much banter in, in these, these quizzes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I feel let down a little bit. But fair play, thanks for doing it. Oh, <laughs> so Mickey's game round two is not going well. It's gone down as well as it did last week. The, pre- the Premier League. Uh, Richie, did you manage to catch the highlights or the game of uh, Chelsea Swansea? Yes, I, uh, I, I pretty much watched the whole game, yeah. Excellent. Is there is there anything you picked up to worry us on next week's game? Anything you think you saw Swansea do? Apart from get a point at Chelsea, which you thought, oh dear, oh, this is going to be tough. <laughs> um, I think the couple of couple of players are Montero, uh, the left the left midfielder. Um, he's a hell of a player. Him, I mean, yeah. he uh, he he gave Ivanovic a, a serious headache, and, and that's saying something when you. You know, Klasovanovic is arguably the best right back in the world, and um, he didn't know how to handle him. He's just—he's quick, he's direct. He—he he can go down the the wing, he can cut back inside, um, and and Chelsea just didn't know how to handle him. Um, I think, as well, a player that I kind of earmarked before the season, I thought was, was a hell of a signing that I wish Newcastle would have would have got him. Uh, Au was, um, he's a. Uh, Again, he's a player that he he's been he was played kind of out on the right for Swansea, but he um, he's very busy. Like he he sort of drifts all across the the midfield, and you know his 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 goal really when you look at what he did was was tremendous. Where he was on the floor, stands back up, kind of drags the ball back to kind of get it out the way of the defender and sticks it in. I think he's just a very clever, very attacking, um, skillful player. Um, Gomis is an interesting one. Uh, he's a he's, he's a, again he's a very busy striker, and he's for, for someone who's not that big, he can he can really handle himself. Um, although he's you no, know, he's I, I don't think given Newcastle's weaknesses of being like defending crosses in the air, I wouldn't think Swansea have got that many players who can threaten us compared to say Southampton. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I just think the. They, they gave Chelsea a really tough time. You know, the the I'd, I'd imagine we're going to have a very similar kind of a very similar test what we had against Southampton. It's a very good footballing team. We've got a couple of you know a couple of players who can pose pose a threat. Um, defensively, they're all right. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's, we're going to we're going to have a very a very similar test like we did uh, as we did uh, yesterday. Yeah, I agree. And- what I hope would do is looking at that game. Um, I think Swansea, or, or at their worst, I know it sounds a bit obvious. When teams really go at them, like if you look at they got done five 0 at home last year by Chelsea, um, and Chelsea basically from the kick off in that game, and that's going to lead my next question because that's a lot of Chelsea fans would say this is the last time Chelsea played well from the kick off. They just thought fuck this, we're going to attack in non stop. And when Swansea can't get that that passing rhythm, which Chelsea allowed them to do, they didn't really press very well. That's what surprised me about Chelsea. They didn't press at all. Swansea's players had time and space on the ball in midfield and didn't really have to play too much of a counter-attacking game. They had, they had chances in their own right. So I think we'll do very well to get anything from the trip to South Wales. Yeah, I think um, another player that uh, 
I think I've been talking to you about on Twitter as well, Dodds, uh, mm. this this past week is is Shelby. I think he's a. I do think he's one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. Um, I think he's he just gets better every season. You know, he, he's he's a force in the centre midfield. He can organise. He can pass the ball. He his uh, through ball was the. Uh, the ball that led to the uh, Swansea penalty, and it was a very, a very, a very clever ball over the top. Um, he's, he, he, you know, he does score the odd goal as well. I remember he scored that screamer against us a couple of couple of seasons ago. I think that was the game when Debussy uh, got sent off. Um, yeah, but he's again, he, he's another player that could make things happen. And I think you know, he, he's if you if you let him into the game, he, he's got the ability to start dictating things. So I think midfield is where they've they've got the biggest. Uh, the biggest threat, but um, yeah, I agree. I think I think if we can come away from you know Swansea with a point, I think we'll be classes of it as a as a, as a good result. Definitely, uh, Ben. Moving on to the rest of the league, Chelsea. I know you weren't a fan of my question in the um, running order which I sent across today. Long term decline for Chelsea or should a short term uh, dip? I just want to farm because it's based on one game. I mean, before yesterday, we've, we've all said they're going to be the, the team to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say it's, you can't say it's uh, going to be a long-term decline or anything like that. Um, I think what it showed was sort of what I said in the preview podcast we did, um, where they just looked sort of complacent, I guess. Um, they've not really, they've, they've not particularly brought anyone in to, to challenge for the first team last season, they they made big statements for the players they brought in, Fabregas, Costa, people like that. They came in and were, were first team players that basically helped them win them the league. Um, now, obviously, it's it's hard to buy players that are going to come in and replace them or or improve the team. But I just think they've they've basically just consolidated a couple of positions. Well, I wouldn't even say the consolidated. I mean, Begovic for Czech. Hmm. Is it much of a much? Is not really going to make much of an, Most an impact. Most people would consider it a downgrade, even yeah, though Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's it's just a he's not going to play. No. Um, although if Courtois keeps flipping, getting himself sent <laughs> off every week, uh, he'll be back on my bench as well. But um, <laughs> he's. Uh, I, I just think they they've missed a the trick there by just keeping the squad the same. And I don't know. I just the team he picked, I thought was all wrong. I mean, as you were saying there, teams that go at Swansea usually yeah. get the result. This, the team he picked, I just don't trust Oscar in that team with Willian and Hazard. I don't think Fabregas playing in that deeper role, I just don't think he's as effective there. So you've got to play the Fabregas or Oscar. Now, Fabregas will get the nod for me every every week. Um, I think they probably miss Ramirez, to be honest, just his engine. Well, I, I agree in, with you in because... Side in, in with Matic, just to... Well, I think when press. Matic is with Fabregas, he seems to play it really simply, gets the ball, yeah. and he gives it to Fabregas. Yeah. Whereas when he doesn't play, he's, he's quite a he's good class. ball-carrying midfielder really who takes the pressure yeah. off the team and can set up a counter-attack, and he just seems to totally go into his shell yeah. besides Fabregas. The reason I kind of said long-term decline, I know it's one game, but the end of last season, all like the media, the radio shows, match of the day, everyone was talking about... Where's Chelsea's form gone? Yeah, yeah. And it was like, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you win the league, but from August to January, they were outrageously good, yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliant. And then their, their forms just fallen off so bad. I mean, there's no wrong. I'm not criticising mm-hmm. or saying they're doing anything wrong. I just think I got a lot of comparisons from this Chelsea side to the one Mourinho left in 07 mm-hmm. when. 
basically the same discussions were being had. And yeah. I'm not saying the same is going to happen. They just got complacent. But, sort of but it was it was almost Olympiacos. Yeah, they were losing games that shouldn't. Not that they've done that so far. And they were they were playing very terrible football. And it also it also it just seemed like it came to a natural end. And I'm not saying yeah. the same is going to happen. Do you not think? Do you not think that was partly down to the fact that sort of by you know not not that late on in the season that almost had the title wrapped up and they didn't really have anyone kind of really pushing them yeah. you know and um and so you can not say i'm not saying that that's the only reason um and you know you'd think like a manager of Mourinho would is the kind of manager that wants to get 110 percent out of his team every single game no matter what the situation is but i do think if the, if they'd had man city kind of breathing down the neck maybe three points behind them Going at the last sort of three games of the season, it, it could have been a lot different. Um, and, and just to pick up a point that Ben made before about you know how they haven't really kind of delved into the transfer market and made any statement signings, I do think that's a pretty valid point because you, you see time and time again like the big teams when they don't make any signings, you know, that they win the league. Man U being the classic classic example of this um, uh, uh, a couple of years back where they, they, they didn't really make any signings and they uh, and they struggled. Um, but again, you look at Man City; they haven't really made any massive statements in the transfer window. Still on the side, um, Arsenal again. You know they haven't, apart from Czech, they haven't really bought anyone. So I do wonder whether it's a game of cat and mouse. Whether you know, one if if Mourinho saw Man City go out or Arsenal go out and buy a big player, whether that will make them move and go for a you know add another massive sign to their squad as well. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree with what you say, especially the lack of competition, but. The, the kind of the lack of groove or whatever you want to call it or rhythm or consistency cost them in the Champions League this year so let's hope for their sake that they pick it up soon um, the, the the biggest story of the weekend undoubtedly Mike was Arsenal they're just a, they're just a farce and I, I follow I, I enjoy Arsenal Twitter like I follow quite there's a lot of Arsenal have got this mental Twitter population like they've got yeah. low, like every club has them like, like the top Newcastle I don't know, the top Newcastle fan on Twitter probably have like 5,000 or 10,000 followers or something. The top Arsenal fans have got like 340k, just blokes <laughs> who write a blog. Um, and there's 20 of them. It's it's like, it's so crazy the kind of the media world around Arsenal in amongst their own fans. And they were all so positive. <laughs> They're all so positive they were going to really push Chelsea. And then just... Mike, do you want to tell us about yesterday? <laughs> uh, well, it, it, it was all sort of predictable, wasn't it, after the trophy laden pre-season Everett's <laughs> Cup Community right. Shield you know massive massive games are turning on it. For them, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I must admit I did quite enjoy it being in uh, in North London myself um, but it, uh, yeah it just it, it wasn't that unpredictable over the last five six years they, they've always struggled I think I remember was it Villa a couple of years ago went to yeah, them and did them 3-1 <laughs> first game of the season and it was just a bit like um you, you know what West Ham are going to do when they go to Arsenal. They're going to play it narrow. They're going to they're going to keep the keep the back four narrow, keep the midfield narrow, and pack the middle of the pitch. And Arsenal just persisted with trying to play the the intricate play through the middle and score that perfect goal. They got pace that wide. Got Chamberlain, Walcott, bring on. Just just, just go wide. Knock it knock it wide. You got Giroud in the box. Cut it back into the box. Like get him behind them. Move that back four around. But instead, they just kept trying to go down the middle, and it was relatively easy in the end for West Ham to de- to defend. If you got a a solid, decently drilled professional Premier League team, you 
you, you just keep it tight and, and, and you'll let them come at you. They're going to have to score, do something incredible to, to work their way through about six or seven lads in the middle of the pitch in about 30-yard 30 uh, yard area. I, I think it was just naive more than anything. Um, if they want to win the title, they're going to have to find different ways of winning the game. It's not always going to work, uh, and I think I think that's their major problem. Aside from, you know, the centre back and the centre forward, we say they need. I think that attitude, that willingness to to find a different way to winning a game. Um, without that, they, they won't win the title or, or, or make a make a close challenge. Do you reckon Wenger is put like a bounty, basically like if, if he's going to find players if they try and cross the ball? <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of why they're not some analysts that didn't he when Bolton first got promoted back in 2001 you find a player that shot from outside the box and didn't score seriously <laughs> and like, it's, it, it's, it's a sensible thing because so few shots from outside yeah. the box like his point and I hate Allardyce but he was right he was something like 8% of shots from oh, yeah. outside the box yeah. and he was like you actually concede more goals from getting done on the counter from <laughs> yeah. horrific from look at us Matt, look at us last, last season against the fucking Magnums shot outside the box on the corner Mm. Goal. Like, um, <laughs> I think I've um, I think I've heard. Uh, I, I, <clears throat> although I don't really like the bloke, um, Stan Collymore has uh, has said I've heard him on the radio say like just just to kind of piggyback on what um, Mike said there that Arsenal won't win the league with that playing style. It just they just won't. I mean, you look at Chelsea and Man City, and the you know the, they've got the kind of the power and directness element of their game and kind of. The Arsenal, yes, they'll, they'll over the over the, the period of a season they're going to be up there, but they, they just seem to kind of lack that. As you as you as you said, Mike, that kind of other way of playing, like you know, changing it, especially against the big teams, you know, where where they you know is, is often like the kind of the the, the telling part of whether a, t- a team will go on and win the league is, is how many of those games against the kind of the, the big teams that, that they go and they go and win. Um, and I just think it's stubbornness from Arsene Wenger. You know, I've, I've said for years Arsenal should have got shot of Arsene Wenger, and you know, it's not not to say that he's, he's a bad coach. He's, he's he's obviously a very good coach. But how many years is this going to go on for? With you know the same old thing getting said every season, pre-season. This is Arsenal's year, and blah blah blah. And you think, well, it's, it's not because Wenger's too stubborn in the way he sets his team up, and he's too stubborn in the transfer market. Even you know, even though people say, oh, "Yeah, but he's you know he's making changes. He's you know he's, he's signed Sanchez and Özil." It's like, yeah, he does that, but he still doesn't go and kind of finish the job. He doesn't go and say, "Right, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and buy you know on top of that massive sign, I'm going to go and buy another you know the the, the big thirty goal a season striker that we that we desperately need." And I just think that's that's where Arsenal's downfall is. I think I think Wenger is Wenger is, is the is the man who's who's held them back over over. You know, challenging for the titles in Champions Leagues. Yeah, I agree. And Mike, I want to ask you something. Uh, I hate preseason. I, I went to one preseason away game. Mickey, I think it was with you when we were eighteen at Hartlepool. Did we go? Yeah, yeah. And it was rubbish. Like, like the football's <laughs> rubbish. I hate. Pe- I don't hate people, but you know, I got a lot of grief on Twitter for saying that the people kicking off about the preseason team selection just don't go. Like, just don't. there should be yeah. players behind. There should be played behind closed doors and. Ben, me and Ben had a laugh at there. Is it Paul Hayward, the journalist, oh, who, yeah, who tweeted yeah. that um, in in a few years' time, pre-season will be the season. Just there's yeah. so many flaws with that argument. I'm not even getting <laughs> into it. But anyway, what does he even mean? He's well, trying it, to get at the fact that they were selling out like hundred thousand. Yeah. He means like, like the MCG in Australia, man, like, like Liverpool uh, playing Real Madrid in July will soon be more important to the clubs than. I mean, he's obviously not watching the matches. <laughs> yeah. is there? 
and that's my point, Mike. So I, I pay no attention to pre-season. However, you've got to say oh, there, there must be an issue every year. Arsenal clean up in pre-season. They don't just win; they win six nil, seven nil. Now, to, a couple of things I want to point out, and I'm, I'm going to kind of compare it to Newcastle's preseason. I know it's not a great comparison, but anyway, I think Southampton are a much better team than West Ham, by the way, and we'll finish yeah. much higher, and we managed that better than Arsenal did against... I actually wrote in the special this week for True Faith that, you know, the appointment of Bilic is mental, because there's no way in the world if Bilic hadn't played for West Ham, manager, no way, which doesn't make any sense. Agreed. Yeah, anyway, um, Arsenal every year. I mean, we played Sheffield United, right? It was a, by all accounts, it was a, it was a decent game. There was no preseason field. Even the Munchen Gladbach game at St James's, which me and Ben went to, was a good game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't yeah. like you didn't look at that game and think, "Well, this is a preseason." Do you know what I mean? It was good intensity. Munchen Gladbach were up for it. You could tell they had a Champions League qualifier. Yeah, you, you, they were really, like they were game. really, really good. Like they were excellent. <laughs> and Newcastle didn't deserve to get beat either. But I just, I just see Arsenal every year. I think that rather than going off to play the International Premier League Cup against Everton at walking pace in Malaysia, <laughs> and rather than playing Leon and Benfica and Real Madrid, when the games they're not, they're, they're not even testimonials because because these big teams want to give nothing away against each other, and because there's no point getting injured, it's almost pointless. Play, there's no kind of. It's chance. just Arsenal have got like the best twenty-three-year-olds that are like yeah. tenth choice in their squad. And like Real Madrid, 16-year-olds. I, I was listening. Again, I was going to raise this point anyway, Richie. Dan Collymore, me drive over here, made a great point on the radio saying oh, he, he considers... Now, he wasn't making the point Arsenal's pre-season was rubbish, but he was just saying Arsenal basically do their intense training for the first two or three weeks since they're back without a lot of their best players, mm-hmm. well, nearly all their best players. Anyone who's been playing international doesn't come back. They then spend the whole time jetting off, lifting trophies... Nice, comfortable lifestyle for the players. Get the Sheffield United away when it's pissing down with rain. That's pre-season. <laughs> it is when, you, when you're playing yeah. teams who are going to raise their game, make you run around a little bit. I mean, I watched I watched Arsenal's game against Everton in the Malaysia Cup. I watched. I don't know why. I think I was working from home and I watched a little bit of it. And it was it was not even like us playing five or side man. Obviously, the quality That's was there. <laughs> it was it was so <laughs> slow. People weren't even running. Do you know what I mean? It's just pointless. Do you think, Mike? I know I've got a long way. I basically <laughs> put but, my but, point but, across. But for anyone that saw the uh, the the five side tournament earlier this year, <laughs> you just described our the, yeah. the podcast derby. <laughs> Gotta get shots VT weekly. Play that like lower than walking pace. <laughs> Uh, walking football but yeah Mike do you think there's an argument to be hard to say Arsenal every year they're not ready it's it's obvious every year West Ham would and, and Arsenal then get tried to say it was because of the Europa League well if you know you know you've got West Ham yeah. from, the, from the start of June basically they do the fixtures and you know they're in the Europa League so why are you coming out in the press conference and saying that because they were in the Europa League it gave them a massive edge that's, that's criminal in my opinion yeah, I agree. I, I remember hearing that in the, in the press conference, like, come on, Arsene, just, you, you, you've been done, you're not properly prepared. And it, it, I think you can, there is a danger in, in maybe setting too much store in pre-season, know that Emirates Cup they have with all the, all the big names coming over, whether it be Monaco or, or, or what have you, coming over and playing, and, and Arsenal getting a load of 18-year-olds and, and, and absolutely dicking them. There's, there's always a lot of coverage, it's always a, it's a big kind of, marketing push around and, and you wonder if they're just as you say just conditioned because those games are just walk arounds they're training games for, for, for kids to, to try their tricks um, and invariably it'll come off but you, you can't ever see Wenger taking them to like a Sheffield United away or anything like that for fear of them just getting kicked all over the park and then yeah. you know and getting a couple of major injuries there's no way he's going to do that 
But you know, so I think it's what five, is it five out of the last six opening days they, they've lost. Yeah. They're, they're certainly they, or they've, won, they've only won one of the last six, which is a, which if you're yeah. going to win a league, is it's not going to, not going to happen, is it? No, no, and, and, and to come out and say a West Ham team who I, I still think will have a poor season, yeah, um, coming to you and, and, and turn you over comfortably. <laughs> um, in the in the end, uh, was down to the fact that they played. I mean, Billich like played a youth squad in <laughs> in the in mid. In, was it away in Malta? They were yeah, playing the like the, the game before the Arsenal match. So that wasn't really like toning up the players to actually start that Arsenal game. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it's a vacuous argument. It was just like just, just sort yourselves out and be ready to know you know for a couple of months what day you're going to start the season on. Just prepare your players. You're a professional. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree, and I think again the preseason one might be a bit of a you know a, a non-entity, but I, I, the, the fact that the key, they obviously have a problem with starting poorly and to keep playing the same preseason over and over again, obviously something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And in addition, they're constantly playing teams that start their season two or three weeks later. So yeah, you, you beat Wolfsburg seven-one, well done, lads. But they don't kick off for another two weeks. <laughs> they're obviously yeah, they just much, got off the beach. Yeah, they're obviously at a much earlier stage, but yeah. How do you think Arsenal will do then? I know it, I'm going to ask you to revise your prediction. Well, I, I'll still stick with it. I mean, I said I said I'd come second, second um, last week, and, I, and I'll stick with that. Um, they, they will hit their stride, and I think you know the, the others are like to Man City, Man United. I don't think will we'll, we'll get past them this season, um, but I, I, I just don't see them mounting that concerted title challenge. They'll, they'll be better than last year, and they'll come second. But because of that unwillingness to to adapt and, and win games differently um, uh, I can't see them pushing it beyond you know late March April it is mental like obviously everyone was praising Wenger last year for the the Man City game where they they, 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 they turned the game around and played Man City off the park and beat them comfortably but he, he still doesn't it's almost like it's taken him 10 years to adapt to that game but he still can't like he still hasn't adapted to the sort of Mediocre Premier League teams that are just going to come try and bully you and and sort of be difficult to beat. It's yeah. I think that Man City game still not worked that out. Yeah, they're under no pressure that Man City game, weren't they? They they were well off the pace, I think, by by that point. Um, Yeah, it it didn't really count, did it? It's almost as if he's arrogant though. That it's just like he's well, it is. It's just arrogance that they because they're Arsenal, they have to play a certain way against. 90% 90% of the league and they, they have to win playing that way it's just this, it's this almost becomes the Arsenal podcast like last year when yeah. we were thinking we need to stop talking about Arsenal but it's just so frustrating <laughs> it yeah. is it's just like it's just so annoying same like, mistakes the same mistakes like you say every year the same issues and it's like get out of the league yeah. like go with Villa and something if you're just going to be shite <laughs> and do the same thing every year get get in the championship <laughs> that'll teach you taught us Wenger's clearly just not going to learn the lesson, is he? Oh, for, eight, for eight million quid a year, you obviously think it's just boring to watch them. You, you know what's going to happen. It's just boring. Get get rid of Wenger and mix it up a bit. Watch him do us like nine. Get John Carver in there. <laughs> He'll mix stuff up. Uh, moving on, Mickey. I was really upset when I saw the half-time score Sunderland three 0 down, and you had to feel for the Sunderland fans. So, yeah, it's just all that hope for the new season blown away in the space of twenty minutes when they're two 0 down. What did you make of it? It was an absolute joy to watch. Three nil down. <laughs> you watched it. You watched the whole game. Watched the whole game. Yeah. Three nil down in twenty five minutes, and Catamull <laughs> subbed off. <laughs> you should be played for England. <laughs> there was no better way to start <laughs> watching that that first twenty five minutes of Sunderland. They were absolutely atrocious all across the pitch. Like unbelievably bad. 
big, big, big dick's gone in there and sorted it out. I was having a, she doesn't listen to it, so right. I was having a massive argument with my girlfriend at the time. And then obviously it's like one of those things where we both stormed off. And she heard me laughing my head off because I turned on Sky Sports <laughs> and just, just as the third went in. Which was a pen, I think. And I was just like, literally, I was in. I couldn't stop laughing for like a ridiculous, over-the-top laugh that I was doing. And she was like, "You don't even care." And I was like, "No, man, look, look, look the markets are getting me three 0 I mean, I, I speak to our mate Paddy, who we speak to, and uh, Niall, who's been on the podcast before. Niall said, um, obviously, he was going to watch the highlights, and he hasn't because he's just so sick of it. Um, it's just, the, what do you expect? When I, I said this last week, when I heard the signed Kabul, I was like, well, he's, well, he's terrible. But, you know, get him in on a free, if you're yeah. short on numbers. No, 3.8 million. He cost. Quite, so quite actually as well. went. They could go anywhere on the world. They could go, I don't know, Nice in France. Take that centre back. 25 years old, years old. No, we'll have Tottenham's sixth choice yeah, injury pro- prone. Yeah, proven, like, gag defender. Yeah. Who's and we'll, like- we'll not only sign him, we'll drop our captain, John O'Shea, <laughs> and put him straight into the team. And Quartes, who basically, rumour has it, Liverpool only signed to satisfy Suarez when he signed because he wanted, like, Suarez was like, what well, you sign me made from Uruguay? Seriously, that's the word. Um, it's just the same, like, Sunderland, obviously, a delight in it. Catamol, Fletcher, Larson, O'Shea, Brown, it's, it's just, that's the core of their squad. Adam Johnson, and they just runs. Adam Johnson, by the way, captain. It is an absolute disgrace. Yeah, it's, it's an utter, utter disgrace. It's like, they should be ashamed of themselves. Can I, can I, can I just say, like, I've, you know, I mean, I've, I know a couple of Sunderland fans, and they almost kind of contradict themselves on a on a yearly basis. Where this, the, the, it always comes back to Steve Bruce, even though yeah. he left, you know, God knows how long ago now. Two thousand eleven, he left. <laughs> I, it's always Steve Bruce's fault. He's the, he's the, he's the man that has left us with this core of rotten players. Seb Larson, John O'Shea, Wes Brown, uh, Lee Catamore, blah, blah. Yet, the next week, the praising Lee Catamore is the best thing since sliced bread. He's so underrated. Seb Larson, we couldn't, we couldn't do without him in the team. He, uh, you know, this week, this week, I was just listening to Total Sport earlier, earlier on uh, this evening. Oh, how, how on earth is Eunice Kabul getting ahead of John O'Shea? They all come back to praising all the players that, that were there under Steve Bruce. You know, and, and I just think... The bottom line is, Sunderland fans, is that every you've just got awful players in your in your squad. Richie, you know, they're not they're not listening, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to just ask the question: Who was the last player that Sunderland signed that made you think, "Oh God, they've done well against him," or "Oh, you know, I wish Newcastle had signed him." Can anyone think of a player, the last player Sunderland signed that you were a little bit jealous of? I just cannot think. It probably doesn't matter. Two thousand and nine and Darren Bent, realistically. Yeah. I probably is, yeah. Six and years I mean, ago. They're just, they're just, you know, they're, they're talking about last season. Oh, we've got no pace in our in our squad. We need some youth. Blah blah blah. And they're going, you know, they're going to get Eunice Kabulin in the in the in defence, an old slow defender. <laughs> and you just think, wait, well, you know, they've, they've got so many problems in their in, in in their club. You know, they just made the wrong decisions. You know, we we. We obviously slate the likes of uh, Newcastle and the, uh, Charlie and Ashley always making the wrong decisions. But Sunderland, you know, Ellis Short, Lee Congerton, you know, you just think, what what on earth goes through their head? You know, they, they kind of they identify problems and then just add to those problems every year. <laughs> what, what's funny is, and I've said this before on, on the podcast, is that 
you know, it really pisses Newcastle fans off about how financially successful the club is, despite being shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that at Sunderland, they're even shitter, mm-hmm. and they lose a fortune. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, but it's, it's the wages that they've, that they've got Adam Johnson on eighty grand a week and stuff like that. And perfect chance to sack him. Perfect chance in the back to the hill. The Megan company's like he's been terrible for you. He turned up in the England squad. He's never had a sniff because he's fucking terrible. The, the manager, it, it just even Penners, who Niall, who's a good mate of ours, I, he was happy that that. I mean, he's taken the job on a one-year right, basis, yeah, and I know I know Sunderland fans will say, well, it'll give with a chance. What if he got? I mean, just say, what if he got them eight this year on a one-year deal? That's ridiculous. Like, it's not going to happen. But do you want one in one year deal? Would you have to tie him up? This is a bloke who's had ten jobs in nine years. Uh, ten jobs in nine years, advocate. And and it's just a litany of failure. He did well with South Korea a, a few oh six or something or two thousand and ten. He he was laughed out of Serbia. I went to watch um, Scotland play Serbia <laughs> when we went to Glasgow a couple of years ago. Craig Levine was in charge, and it was the word like. Scotland played Kenny Miller up front by himself, and it was just a farce. Like the the game should have been called off, and the the manager I looked back was Dick Advocat, and he it's like everywhere it he's been, nil, nil, yeah, it was nil nil. It's everywhere he's been. Both teams had to win. No shots on target in the whole game. Um, everywhere Advocat's been, he's been he's like had a little surge, and it's like I'm a Newcastle fan, and I, ha- I promise you, I haven't gone out of my way to look into this stuff. It's just general football knowledge mm-hmm. that, for the sake of a podcast, I thought I'll go and check this out. And it's like, like you say, Richie, fair enough. The Sunderland fans don't know this stuff. They're not, prof- you know, they don't get paid for it. You'd think Lee Congerton would think, right, Avocat. Actually, he was there for ten games last season. He got something like eleven points. Not great. It be basically they were they were in the shit when he arrived outside the relegation zone. If Hull or Newcastle or anyone. And and hadn't got hadn't had the massive mares that would have. They'd have got just relegated, get, even, even with Advocat. And they can't seem to think, well, it wasn't Advocat that kept them up. It was Hull losing mm-hmm. seven of the last eight games yeah. in the Premier League. That's what kept them up. And to give the guy another year, after, we're going on about something a bit a bit much now, but Mickey enjoyed it. I did. Villa, not somewhere enjoyable. Well, I didn't watch this one. I just watched the highlights of it. But it, it just looked like Villa were absolutely terrible in Bournemouth. It was a perfect worse. game for them, like, wasn't it? Just to get like they needed that game. Yeah, the well, they should have got beat by the way. Bournemouth just chance after chance. But do you know what I mean? Off. It's it's Was a Bournemouth it? team who haven't got much quality really. Like we don't know anything about them, but like they've, they've just come up. It's a perfect game to. It's like your your Burnleys of the past or your Blackpools or whatever. You, you're expecting to beat them, and it's just a perfect game for them. I mean. What was one nil, wasn't it? Um, it just it sounded like a bang average game. Well. The, the struggle to contain Dan Goslin and midfields, we're getting all sorts of space, but yeah, really disappointing that they they won, obviously. I still think they'll go down. Oh, they're going they're, down. They're, they're in Sunderland. They're, they're in Sunderland. I'm obviously tripping all three promoted teams to stop up. I might have to revise that because Bournemouth looked like they're, they're really tired in the second half. And it's obviously the, like he's sticking with the players that brought them up, which yeah, is fine. Yeah. I'm going to speak to Mike later on about Bournemouth. But um, do they have the quality? I'm not. I'm not sure Bournemouth do, and also a team like Burnley last year seemed to get through close to the end on sheer willpower. And I know Mike said last week that they had a bit of a nasty streak. I don't see the the workers, the kind of hardened football league pros who have been around for years like Burnley had last season. I see a lot of fresh young attacking players who might really struggle. But anyway, on to Man United. Did anyone watch this apart from me? Yeah, I watched Man it. United. you watched it. Yeah, watched it. You watch it. Where are Man United going to play well under Louis van Gaal? The game was an absolute joke. They had, they had one shot on target, for God's sake, and that was terrible. 
That was ter- a terrible shot on target. It was Ashley Young from like outside the box, which went, if the keeper had let it in. Louis van Gaal has had the front to come off of the game saying, we had the better chances. Well, no, no you didn't. Spurs had two excellent chances. Just, just I mean, Ericsson, just, Ericsson early on should have scored, shouldn't he, when he went? Definitely, and that's that's why he's not one of the top players, Richie, because you know these Spurs players, who, it's a bit like a circle with us, who think he's going to go for 40 million and stuff like that. No one's going to play 40 million for him at the moment when he's p- passing up chances at Old Trafford like that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I really rate Ericsson. I, I, I get your point. I, I think he's maybe just in that kind of second tier of, you know, the, the of, of player like he's that, you know, the, the, the real world class players put those chances away. But I agree. I think Spurs first twenty minutes of that match completely overran Man U. Um, and Man U, they, they didn't look anything special. You know, they, obviously they won the game in the end. But you just think if they'd came up against. Uh, you know, I don't know. Even even like a team like Swansea or Southampton of the weekend, who you know, yeah. they, or, or, dare I say Newcastle, you know, might have might have caused them more issues. You know, I just think uh, they've, they've added they've added some players to the squad on on paper. The squad looks a bit stronger, but you know, the likes of Schneidlin, is he really gonna is he really gonna win them the title? You know, is he? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. That, that Darmian looks an all right player, but mm-hmm. they now look completely. Uh, Striker-wise, they've got they've got Rooney, and that's about it, haven't they? You know, they just think, where's 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 their where's their goals going to come from? Because I don't think Rooney's going to give them the uh, you know 25, 30 goals this season. I just I don't know. I agree. I just think that again, they just they just look like a an all right team. That's about it. You have to think that they're going to be going out and buying a striker realistically. If there anyone else but Van Hal, but he's I mean, look at last season. Mickey had two massive problems: a centre backs and their strikers. <laughs> He's £75 million further on. <laughs> and they've still got two still massive got, problems. Still, still got Smalling and... Uh, well, they played Blind there, yeah. yeah. He's versatile, give yeah, him that. He's uh, versatile. He's a decent player as well. Did you did you see what Garth Crooks um, wrote on Twitter <laughs> earlier about um, Chris Morden? Was it something absolutely mental? Because <laughs> it, it, it was an outrageous shout. It was something about... Um, uh, I can't remember what player it was. It, it was basically saying, oh, United, you know, if De Gea goes, then... They need to focus all their efforts on keeping Chris Morden if they want to win the title. <laughs> Just absolutely ludicrous. I mean, he's not, he's not terrible. He's improved, but, he's yeah, improved but, but come on. <laughs> Imagine, like, right, uh, Chris Morden signs like 350k, like, deal it, man, you. For the next three years or something. I mean, there's probably at least 20 centre-backs better than Chris Moran at the moment in, in Europe. In the Premier League. The Premier League. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be significantly more than 20, like. He's, he's all right. <laughs> Like, if, if he starts for England in the Euros, I'm not going. <laughs> so plan to drive to France, and I'm not going if he's starting. We'll move on because we're planning to do a shortened podcast, and here we are again. Hey, you went light on LVG there. Well, it's the first week, obviously. What, we've, we've, we've gone on. We've gone what, on. what he said was a, is a joke, but I, I can only presume he has to say that because it's like his team's so poor that he has to try and give him some confidence. Yeah, he wouldn't like the, the, these players wouldn't have been happy if he came. Here's out, my like, shout, lads. We're terrible. Here's my shout. I think they're going to get done by Bruges. No, no, no. Oh, I don't think they're going to qualify for the Champions League. That's a ridiculous. Okay, we'll leave it there. We'll come back because because they can't this, score. This they can't, they can't create chances. Like you say, Rooney if has an off day and he has a few. It's Bruges, man. <laughs> Moving on. Crack on. Mick, uh, Mike, sorry. Coming to you about Palace. That was a, a decent game this weekend. Um, I also read the tele- Telegraph article last week. I don't know if yeah. you sorted out, which was basically a journalist coming into Alan Pardew's home probably and just saying just tickle my tummy for a bit and you write it, Alan 
the rewriting of history at NUFC was a disgrace. But Mike, tell us a little bit about the game first of all and what you made of it. Yeah, well, I, I thought um, it was kind of Palace, Palace of last season. Was it a punching involved in a couple of the goals? Um, that pace, uh, pace on the break. Um, bit of luck as well with that, uh, with that Cameron Jerome or, or Colton Jerome um, <laughs> goal being, being, being ruled out as well. Um, which I think kind of sums Palace up as well. Those those tight margins. If you if you look at their game, uh, their, their record last season. And to be fair, in that interview you were talking about, Jason Burt uh, was a journalist. Um, but Pardew actually admits that uh, very fine margins they went on last season. They won seven games um, by one goal, uh, most in that second half of the year. Uh, and I think a lot of them they're, they're away from home and behind. They're one of the worst home records in the league last season. So. It, it, it's tight stuff. If 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 you know the the rubber the green doesn't go with them, they they can quite easily find themselves in a bit of trouble. I, I don't think they have a striker that that can really push them up the table. Um, that article you were referring to um, alluded to the idea they could get top six. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> which was uh, the, there was a nice qualifier in there saying, "Oh, Alan, Alan." understands that the top four are in a world of their own as in the, as if the journalists like put it to him Drake, you get top four? <laughs> <laughs> and it was um it, yeah as you say it's uh, it's not a not full of journalistic endeavor uh, and backbone that article but um i, I think the by, by the nature of a lot of the points i picked up last season being such tight games and a lot came from behind um I, I, can't, I certainly can't see them challenging anywhere um, near the top six. I, th- I think they'll be fine around mid-table, um, but 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 I think if you if they don't sort out their home form this season from last season, they, they could quite easily go on a run of seven or eight away um, without winning. Could, you know that can happen, um, and and then they could find themselves in a bit of trouble. I think you're right about the striker. That's the one thing they're really missing, isn't it? I mean, Glenn Murray. S- seven million on Wickham and getting Glenn Murray. It's, it's Paul's kidding. I can't yeah, believe they, they spend that much money on Conor Wickham. I just cannot believe it. Just, uh, four goals in uh, four seasons or something? <laughs> it's not rising, rising to nine, isn't it, as well, I think? Rising yeah. to nine. Yeah, million. I've heard, yeah, it is. Good at nine, yeah. <laughs> if, if they get so, top six. So it's seven million. <laughs> <laughs> if, if they get top six. Yeah, Mike. Quickly before I have a last say on Pardew, what did you make of Norwich? I was really impressed by them from the extended highlights I saw and I thought they should have won the game. Well, uh, yeah, as much as it obviously kills me, I said last season, uh, last season, last week, um, I think they'll finish around 15th. I think at home they can, you know, they make chances. Um, they got they got players in that team, the likes of Houlihan, they can bring on a Redmond. Um, they got players that can score and, and you can see them building up a bit of a run at home, a bit of strong home form and, and I think the manager... Um, as well, as I say, it's uh, it's killing me to, to to bring this all out, but I think it'll be worth a, an extra few points above their above their rivals down there. He's got that, you know, you, you wouldn't cross him, would you, as a player? Um, and, and, and you can see him get um, getting them out of a bit of trouble. So um, more's a pity. Um, I, I think they'll have to be all right this season. Yeah, I think what worries me about them, and I tip them to stay up just, is that the the chances they got against. Um, Palace. Palace were the really, really good chances. Like you, you can't. Yeah. And Bournemouth should have taken their chances, but you can see how they didn't go in. Norwich just missed sitters basically, and you kind of, you kind of stop it in the Premier League. There was one absolutely horrendous one as well. Yeah, like, like, really bad. You've just got to score. Like you've got to put Palace to the sword there. I mean, Palace were clearly there for the taking. You know, credit to Palace for their win. It's, it's. I'm not taking anything away from them. Winning away from the Premier League isn't easy. 
I just want to have a little bit of chat with you lads about Pardew and when Pardew left and I, you know, I, I follow a few Palace fans on Twitter and uh, the, with work I know a Palace fan who goes home and away quite well um, and she she obviously really, really likes Palace and uh, Palace, Pardew obviously likes Palace but <laughs> and um, she, she thinks and all, certainly Palace fans on Twitter think you know we're constantly talking about Pardew I don't think it's as simple as that it's because every time you see Pardew on the telly every time you read about him or you hear about him either he or the journalist is talking about Newcastle. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really willing. And was re- really willing to talk about yeah, it. You yeah. think, oh, right, Newcastle fans, let it go. Well, it's hard when you hear Alan Pardew come out and say that the transfer thing yeah. at Newcastle really got him down when, according to rumour, they basically let him do some transfers and he bought Owatan. <laughs> and like, they looked at that and thought, never again, Alan. <laughs> but, Richard, what do you think? Do you think this is going to be something that hangs on like a bad smell all season? Used to beat us fans with the Newcastle fans because they're clearly out to get where. Well, I think you just. I was listening. Um, I was listening to Talksport um, on Saturday after the after the, the matches, and there was a Palace fan that was on, and he, I'm no way of a lie, he said, "I hope Newcastle go down <laughs> for the, for the for, because they let Johan Kabay go." And I was thinking, eh? I was like, I had to like, think, what have you just said there? Like, it was just a bizarre statement, but you can tell there's like, there's, there's kind of a little bit of vitriol from Palace fans about Newcastle because of the whole Pardew thing. And, and I, I just don't, I, I think it will die off eventually. I think you know, Newcastle fans will stop caring about Pardew um, over a period of time. I think Palace uh, and Pardew will stop caring about Newcastle um, but I just think there's a lot of you know that, that Telegraph article there's so much kind of just like ignoring history and yeah. you know so, so many pundits still just you know Ray Parler last over the weekend said oh you know Alan Pardew did a terrific job at Newcastle I just think how, how can you like what is that based on that statement it's a nothing statement it's based on one season and like they, they just they ignore so much about what the vast majority of Pardew's kind of career at Newcastle was, and as I guess it, it does still grate you when you kind of just hear like as if as if Newcastle fans appear to be some kind of like uh, you know thick you know kind of making rash calls and just getting on on, on managers' backs for the sake of it. When you know the, the, the reality is, and the stats show that for the vast majority of Pardew's time at Newcastle, he was awful. We had awful results. He broke all sorts of. You know, weird and wonderful records of you know most consecutive defeats and most you know worst derby runs and all the rest of it. So I don't know. I think, like I say, it'll die off, but it's still there's always going to be a little bit of a an annoyance there um, for Newcastle fans and I think Pardew against Newcastle too. It's just I think it's while things are going so well for him, it's a chance to boost his like reputation and further, isn't history. it? Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's just it's all there to show. Oh well, actually, like I'm doing a great job at Palace. I would have done an even better job at Newcastle if it wasn't for huh. the fans, if it wasn't for like other <laughs> factors, when actually he had a great opportunity to do a hell of a job with where and he just he couldn't pull it off. Okay, maybe he didn't get backed as much as he should have done, but at the same time he he's still dealing with a pretty much similar team to to the yeah. side he got fifth with the seasons he got what, tenth and sixteenth, was it? We'll go after that or something? Yeah. He was um, in charge. He was in charge for four years as well. You've got yeah. to remember that. It's not as if he was here for a season and you know it was Newcastle made fans made rash decisions over the course of a year. You know it was mm-hmm. four years, which for any Premier League manager 
is just a ridiculous length what? of time nowadays to be in charge of a, a club. Um, in fact, was it longer than four years? I can't. I think it was, two, it was 2010. Uh, start yeah. of 2000. It's basically just short of five years. Like yeah. Another well, there you, go, there you go. I mean, it's it's it's, it's not it's not as if uh, you know kind of it's 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 quite an unusual situation for a manager to be in charge for that long. And let's be honest, he. Pardew had a lot of lives as Newcastle manager. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to move on, but I just want to say two final things. Number one, what doesn't bother me, Pardew doing well at all. I was never massively Pardew. I think I, I agree with everything. I totally was pleased when he left, but um, I don't mind him doing well. I mean, there's nothing to say that he couldn't go to Palace and learn from his mistakes, maybe. But <clears> journalists <throat> like the guy you've talked about there don't want to look at it that way. They can't think, oh, well, he went to manager, he went to Newcastle and he's he's improved as a manager. How about that? I'm comfortable saying that doing well at Palace, that Palace has a chance he's improved, but no, it's Newcastle fans were wrong. He's always been brilliant. And number two, uh, that Palace fan on TalkSport, Richie, wants to like look at the fucking history books and realise that Johan Kabay forced his move from Newcastle yeah, by exactly. going on strike. That's <laughs> it. That's <laughs> it. There was no letting him go. <laughs> like, that's it. That's, that's, that was how I was so amused by his comment. It was... It was just a weird comment on so many levels. He, he literally refused to go to work. <laughs> he had work and he didn't go. <laughs> to force a move. Right, Mike, the pre, the promoted sides. Ben was unhappy, but didn't uh, go to you about these last week. So I gave you a chance now. How do you think they got on? And do you think there's any indication about how they're going to get on this season? Um, well, I think it's kind of what we touched on before. It's that, it's that fit and taking your chances, isn't it? Um, you, the amount of time you get on the ball when you're, when you're clean through and you've got a chance in the championship you can afford to take two or three touches you look at the Premier League that um, I think uh, Callum Wilson uh, Bournemouth there's a great example he was clean through got it caught under his feet and he's lost a chance you need yeah. to take it you know that one touch or bang uh, or first time and I think that's the thing Bournemouth the likes of Bournemouth are going to have to get in a, a, a top striker um, which isn't easy <laughs> um, to, to, to really give themselves a good chance of staying up um, I think Norwich will be fine. I think Watford seem to have more goals about them. There, three players were Galo, Dini, and uh, Vidra from last season. All got around twenty. They've got that enterprise about them, but I, I just worry that there's something in me that surely this model of just like keep getting managers in, like five managers in the last year, can't work at the Premier League level. I, I don't think for them. They've got by there a good squad of players for the championship, and I think that was largely why they went up. Um, that sort of team knew how to get by in that league, um, so so they could get by with a, with a few different managers. But I think now, um, if if they get on that merry-go-round again and and, and follow that similar model, I, I don't think they're they're going to survive. Um, but you know, us to be seen. I tipped Brentford to go down last season, so um, <laughs> Did you I, I don't know if we can trust my judgment. No, they were two 0 up and drew two. Oh my! I remember that we were yeah two nil up in injury time. Three yeah three minutes to go. Oh my three god! Three minutes to go. Playing <laughs> brilliant, playing brilliantly as well. Playing brilliant, two gag goals, absolutely ridiculous goals. <laughs> so it came back to bite me in the end, really, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. I like to think that they uh, listened to that your your mistaken prediction, your basically rushed prediction last year and last year. They, year's they played it in the dressing room beforehand, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I think that just about does it for this week. Ben's got one final game before I round things off with a couple of other small discussion points, not notices. <laughs> right. Um, you haven't said so without further ado today. I'm trying really hard, Mickey. I mean, trying hard to say no. I'm <laughs> saying loads at work as well. <laughs> right, so uh, after I got criticised for my game last week, I've shaken it up a bit. Um, like Mickey did. Much like Mickey. Much like Mickey. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll go down better. So, uh, I thought my game was all right. 
was just too much. It was the, it was the banter element of it. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Well, because obviously Carl Court, I mean Ben Ruder. It's just right. like podcast banter, isn't it? Yeah. Was that yeah, not your was, angle? Well, uh, there was just the first two managers I thought of. <laughs> <laughs> That's shocking. The first two Newcastle managers. I was going to say he did say they're not, they're not Newcastle managers as well. They both managed Newcastle. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, mine uh, is going to be a running theme. It's going to be top fives. So this one is the top five uh, scoring defenders in the Premier League era for Newcastle. Decent. Um, so can, can we go, because if do you want to go around here and everyone give one, rather than well, just like all shout out defenders? Because so yeah. we'll, we'll get there eventually. Because there's not I've, that got, many. I've got clues about them, if you want them, or do you just want to try we'll and get them? I'll go first and we'll, we'll go clockwise. Clockwise. But you get to you. Get, people you, you, even you <laughs> <laughs> no, on my screen, I've got like Richie to the right in my head and Mike to the left. Okay. But anyway, so I'll go Philip Albert. Correct. Okay, Richie. Ah, that's how it Sorry. Dabby's <coughs> Correct, and you've got them in order. Going. <laughs> Mike. Oh, sorry, Mike. Steve Howie. Nah, no. Nah, nah. Mickey. I reckon Stephen Taylor. Stephen Taylor is top scorer. Is he the first? With 12. That's class. I'll give you another go and go back around. Okay. Um, ooh, Darren Peacock. No. Darren Peacock, two goals and 133 Mike. appearances. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Me already? Mike. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know. Steve Watson. Yes. Whoa, is that yeah, all yeah, yeah. Number three, there's one more to get. The second top goal-scoring defender in your custody. Over to you, Richie. Chance to win it. Bloody hell. Um, Beresford? No, I'm very impressed with you, like lads. I didn't think you'd get them this quickly. I've got two picks now. Um, Go on, then. I got Colacini. No. And Titus Bramble. No. Oh, so back to Richie. Richie. Oh, dear me. Um, did he add Dooney? No. <laughs> Mike. Uh, Andy O'Brien. No. That's who I was going to guess. Um, Bernard. No. Right, right. So, yeah, go for a clue and first person to shout it out. He played for Newcastle in two stints. Robbie Ellis? Yeah. Oh, well played, Richie. Yeah. Takes it as well. So, in order, it was Stephen Taylor uh, since 2006. He scored 12 goals. Um, apparently, joined Newcastle as a striker. Yeah, so, that's he did, probably yeah. why he's got yeah. his uh, goal prowess. Um, he played he's just for, played loads of matches. Yeah, <laughs> he played at every level of uh, England schoolboys, well under 16, 17, 18, all the way up to 21s, and even got a cap for the B team, but never got that uh, international one. Robbie Elliott second with 11 between 94 and 2004. Obviously, spans the two. Um, played for us twice on the Macrams, and uh, he's currently a US football coach. Um, Stevie Watson. So there's three. Well, I suppose Taylor, including Taylor, three Geordies at the top top right. scorers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Stevie Watson yeah, uh, that team, played under yeah <laughs> played under 21s and got England B cap as well uh, went on to play for a host of other Premier League teams is going to be the clue for that one played between 94 and 97 uh, Dabby Zass were 10 uh, wow. in, f- in 4 years That's 98 good, that, to 2002 yeah. scored 10 goals and he wasn't first choice by any means throughout no. that period um, signed from his home country had 70 caps to his national side signed for a bargain 2 mil so basically 500k per goal that's <laughs> That's good for our sort of <laughs> territory. Bit, yeah, territory. Um, obviously, won a, da- a derby single-handedly and uh, finished his uh, career. I left think Shea Given have something to say about well. that. But no, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh, obviously Albert scored eight in two seasons. Oh. 
uh, between 94 and 96. Is that all um, it was here? Yeah. Two seasons, bloody Two hell. seasons. Um, he played in the 90 and 94 World Cups for Belgium, had 41 caps. Scored he, an absolute worldie in one of the World I think Cups. He, like, I think unbelievable goal. Um, Keegan <laughs> signed for 2.6 million a year after, I think, it, oh no, after the World Cup um, yeah. in 94. But he was like the. The won the Euro boot the the, the Belgian like boot for the best player in the league. Wow. So like all outfield players, keepers, everything. A centre back won it. Um, and then obviously my last thing was going to be scored a chip, which is probably one of the most memorable sort of snapshots of team history in the Premier League. But I well done, lads. That was uh, very good. Uh, I don't think you're getting that quickly. We're no football. I suppose that's it, lads. Thanks very much for uh, this week. We're, we'll we'll touch on real fantasy football a little bit. Uh, the TF Weekly Pod team, which is called Howard Glenn, Carl Colton, I'll keep you up, uh, is going to suffer a defeat. <laughs> we're basically ne- we were fifteen points to seventeen before tonight with Alex Cato, and we've got um, Colorado and Hart. So I was thinking a nice little one nil win. Some gag player scores, a couple of clean sheets for all lads. Um, What's the score? It's two nil. Two Ray scored twice. And who's, Alex has got, got. So <laughs> it's absolute battering where uh-huh. we're getting an absolute beating. Mike, you managed to get 32 points this week. That's unbelievable. That's uh, we're all with Eunice Kabul starting at centre back. You've got your minus one. Aaron Cressel made an it to it. So that's what I thought. Coutinho. Yeah, Coutinho absolutely sorted. How did he get eight? He scored. He scored. The man of the match or something. Um, so the uh, then we've got George Cook also in the in the TF weekly lead, nineteen points, absolutely smashed by Krill running by Rob Smith, Lukaku ten, Mares, Mares is a fantasy yeah, football shout, great shout by uh, Rob there, and then we've got ooh, I can't even say the name or Ian's name, Ian C uh, has taken an absolute hammering by our own Richie Smith, well well played Richie. Cheers, lads. That, that, that points. two hours didn't go to waste then. <laughs> <laughs> I love it how small and somehow bag seven points. Of clean sheet. Clean, clean sheet. Game. Where's Billy Dormian got man of the match, <laughs> got hauled off for five minutes ago for Billy Valencia. You've for done no well, reason. You've done that uh, well there, Richie, because your competitor, Paul Wilson, or oh, have I gone too far? Anyway, you've done well. So you're going to pick up a point in um, the rest three, of the league. Three points. Yeah, the bot, you're going to pick up three points. The, the glory hole. Naughty. Michael uh, <laughs> Walters has, has smashed the bot. He's got 44 points, actually. <laughs> the glory hole has smashed the bot. <laughs> uh, does, does every league have a bot in by default? It's only if you've only got, got odd numbers. Odd numbers. Oh, There's right, supposed okay. to be another lad in our league, but he never come, come on, which is annoying. Um, so, yeah, real fantasy football. We talked about it last week. Remember that you know if you're just hearing this now or listening to podcasts it's not like normal fantasy football because you can join at any point through the season because you're playing for league points against each other three points for a win yes. so you can join start, two, start your own league yeah start your own league or get in touch with us and we'll set you up with someone else who wants to start we're really enjoying it so far the draft did take a long time we'll not lie it's yeah, we'll not if, if you're going to do it make sure everybody make sure is available everyone's there and that's you Mike Hey, I, I, it's actually worked for me despite getting Kabul. I've, I've, I've seen her pulled off a win somehow. <laughs> yeah, you, you've had, you, you've better, had, better lucky than good, I think. You've had you've had automatic selection and, and they've managed to pull it out the bag with Coutinho, Rooney, Rodriguez, Navas, Lallana. <laughs> to be fair, I did put Coutinho and Rooney in a thing Cresswell right at the top yeah. of my list as well. So, uh, yeah. Cresswell? Credit works, Jim. He's oh, yeah. got seven yeah, points. No, Excellent. He loves them. Lads, that's it. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, Richie and Mike, thanks for coming on Skype and talking to me about football. Not a problem. Oh.
we'll, and uh, we'll have you again soon Richie we're hoping uh, thanks to you lads here yeah, and is, thanks so, for hosting yeah. the little sauna you've got in the back anytime, of your house anytime lads and uh, remember uh, Touch and Distance out now by Martin Hardy it's the best book you'll read all year I got it on Kindle for six quid or something ridiculous like that best Bargain. six quid I've ever spent and uh, we've got the podcast available to listen to now where me Mick Martin uh, editor of True Faith and Martin sit down for an hour and just talk about the best period in Newcastle's history uh, it's well worth a listen We'll be back for the radio show, 7 o'clock on Friday. We'll be looking ahead to the Premier League's weekend action and also looking ahead to the Swansea game. And we'll be back next Monday. Cheers. Thank you.